Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Great, we shot it great. We got tickets, you know, uh, because we couldn't guard anybody. Uh, you, know, you can't go on the road and give up 62 in the paint. Uh, you can't go on the road and give up 22 points off turnovers, and you can't get dominated on the glass and give up 18 points on second chance. So if you give up 40 points on turnovers and second chance points, uh, it's going to make for a long night. The score is not indicative of, of the game. It was a 20-point game. Uh, so our bench unit was great. Our starters struggled, and uh, we'll have to watch some film and try to figure it out for game four. You're listening to The Dig. What is up, Nuggets fans? On this infuriating Friday morning. How are you doing, Jeremy? Doing all right. Now that I've heard your alliteration, I'm feeling a little bit better. Uh, That's why I was there. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Thank you. I needed it. There's nothing like a little morning alliteration (laughs) to boost one's spirits after another disappointing playoff performance by... Your Denver Nuggets. Not They're not ours. my Denver Nuggets right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? Come on, get your team together. Man, I'd be embarrassed to be a fan of that team. World. <laughs> so we're laughing, so that we're good. not crying. That's right. <laughs> the theme. Theme for the show today is the Crucible, and. The reason this is appropriate, we, we referenced this on our last episode a couple of weeks ago. Heading into the playoffs, we said that this was going to be a crucible for this team, right? This this was really going to be a this was going to be something that that with, when the pressure got turned up and the bright lights got turned on and the competition got stiffer, the defense got tighter, that we'd see what we have on this team. We would see who we think we have moving forward that can be a championship caliber player. Not that they're all going to be championship caliber players in their first playoff series, obviously. But you can start to get a sense of who can perform and who can't perform um, at this at this level and on this stage. And I think we're starting to see the evidence that that we need um, to, to know where this team is, is at, uh, I think, heading in, into next year already. So we're going to take a look at the good and the bad. Um, some players that have have performed well under the pressure, and some players that have not performed well under the pressure. All right. So as you all know, we're sitting in a two-one hole at the moment after last night's blowout. Um, Nuggets lost by ten. The game was not that close, as all of you know that watched it. Easily could have been a twenty-five. I don't know. I kind of disagree with that. You thought it was a temp- They were down by 20 when they, they took the they, starters out. They lost it in the fourth. I mean, yeah. But but to me, they, they lost it in the fourth. It, it was a hard-fought game until the fourth. Okay, I see your point. But yeah, but yeah I mean, it definitely – it the, it nosedived pretty significantly. So so I, I see that angle. Yeah. Um, 
it's easy to take the perspective right now, sitting here a day and a half before game four in San Antonio, that the season's over. The series is over. I mean, Denver really has been outplayed for 11 of 12 quarters in this series so far. Um, but they are only in a one-two hole. And a win tomorrow in San Antonio makes this series 2-2, going, going home to Denver with two out of three in Denver. And, I, you know, I think I, I still am going to feel pretty good about their chances. But tomorrow's a must-win, obviously. Right. If if we win tomorrow, then the the advantage has to be us. I I don't see it any other way. I don't think any sort of uh, call to the eye test of maybe how they've been playing worse kind of a thing can hold up. In the end, we're we're up with home court advantage, which is a huge deal, absolutely huge deal in this series. So, yeah, that's right. We're we're dealing with two teams who don't play well on the road and who are two of the best teams. The Nuggets are the best team at home in, in basketball and the Spurs are right there too. So home court is everything in this series. So you got to get one, you got to get one on the road because the Spurs did. Right. Um, and that's the only way you're going to, you're going to win this series. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, down on them right now. Like a lot of people are, I think, and I'm kind of questioning their ability to go out and, and get that win on Saturday. Um, Paul Millsap was confident. He said they will win on Saturday. Well, there you go. So, yeah. End of podcast. We don't even We're really need to watch the game, I think. Thank goodness. Yeah. Man, we just nailed that one. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> um, okay, so the first thing we need to address, the <laughs> elephant, 6'6 six, six elephant in the room. <laughs> the 6'6, six, six, 190-pound elephant in the room? <laughs> is uh William Barton who has not looked I think his le- legal name is actually Will. Oh, is it? Oh, interesting. I've never heard of that before. But, yeah. Oh, no, you're right. And his middle name is Norman, which kind of ups his respect a little bit. William Norman Barton? I feel like I should be oh. buying coffee from his coffee house. He's in now. He's just in the wrong profession. He needs to. <laughs> he needs to own some like multinational corporation, and not ever be playing basketball ever again. He needs to never touch a basketball as long as well, he wants. I do feel like we could maybe see something new next season, but um, let's not even get into that. Let's get into the myopic framework of these three games that we've seen, especially the last one. Well, I hate to be too optimistic. Okay, so the storyline going into the game was you guys don't – okay, Barton got a lot of criticism after game one and game two. Rightfully so. He played horribly. And we started seeing a flurry of articles coming out from the Nuggets beat writers that all sort of said the same thing, which I thought was interesting. And it was all basically you guys that aren't behind the scenes don't understand how important he is to the team. That We heard that from – all sorts of voices. There was an article in Denver Post about that. Adam Mars did a podcast um, a couple of days ago where he talked about that. Um, a number of other beat writers have addressed that. Um, at this point, he, so so game three, he comes out and has perhaps his worst game of the series, knowing that a lot of people were calling for him to be benched, knowing he had a bad game, knowing Malone had to answer questions about whether to keep him in the starting lineup and he stuck with him. And he went out and had probably his worst game of the series. 
Um, what do we make of, of where Barton's at? Is his role in the clubhouse uh, or the, um, the clubhouse, it's baseball. Is his role in the locker room um, so valuable that it trumps his terrible play on the court? Because I can't for the life of me figure out what he could be doing in the locker room that's so important that it makes up for how bad he's been playing. Right. Uh, no, I, and I'm not so sure that that's the, I, 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 I think that's not the whole argument, so to speak. Um, I think it's part of it. And it's one of those things where it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to weed that out of some other things. It's like a, a, a multi, what, what is it? Like a multi, whatever chord where there's two or three things in there and they all come together to make one strong reason why Will Barton has been left in. Um, and if you want to break that one strand out, then, then it definitely does kind of look bad on its own. But, but I think, I think the cord on a whole is still weak. If, if you look at every single one of those. So, I mean, I, I, I completely disagree with leaving a guy in specifically because everybody around him likes him. That's not true in the first game of the season, let alone, you know, a playoff series. So that's something that I think needs to be kicked to the curve. Um, well, we, yeah. Isaiah Thomas is not playing in this series and he's been a great teammate and is very well liked from right. Right. Um, no, I mean, he's, he's playing bad. He's, he's not doing much of anything. The, the only thing that I really saw from him was um, in, in the first game, I'd actually give him an A plus for defense. And it's just been a, a downward spiral since then. Uh, game two was more like a B minus for his defense. And if that's the only thing that he's bringing, a B minus is not really good enough to keep a guy in, especially when you talk about all the other ways that he's not just bringing something, but he's actually bringing something negative to it. And then this last game, it, it was it was bad. Um, I'd give it a C minus. Um, so other than that he's he's not really doing much um his first game he at least rebounded he had 10 10 again 10 rebounds in that first game but that's that's completely fallen off there's nothing nothing to be said about him performing well this game he played 20 minutes he got two rebounds zero assists three turnovers the game before that that we actually won he played 25 minutes and got five rebounds that's not one rebound every five minutes that's that's not really anything so worth keeping you in for right i mean look at, so these percentages he's shooting seven percent from three <laughs> right. he's shooting 29 percent from the field and he's shooting 37 percent from the free throw line right i mean i've never even seen percentages like this and this is a three game stretch i mean this isn't you know obviously one game even two bad games three game stretch where you're shooting seven percent from three right yeah no i i think and it's not even something at this point I think we even need to really look at the statistics for. I think this has to be an agreement top to bottom, unilateral about him doing nothing. Um, but but that, fir that first game is the only game where you can, I think, compose a statistical argument. And I think that goes along with, again, that, that, that threefold quarter, whatever that I was talking about. Um, but but that has obviously proved to be that that strand, that statistical strand that was a part of the cord of the reason why he should still be playing has proved to be much weaker than than anybody who was um, than than we thought. So uh, disappointing. And going to leave him in, isn't he? 
I I actually would expect him not to. And, and but I'm kind of looking at it from my perspective. It's been fun for me. I I I spent a lot. I spend the whole season trying to look at it uh, from a great perspective, and that actually kind of distances me from getting too enthusiastic about anything. But then also from being too depressed about anything. The opposite would be our uh, long time not not showing up in our podcast friend Lad, <laughs> who uh, who looks at things per minute. Literally, <laughs> like by the basket, the Nuggets are bad or good. Literally by the basket. Yeah. And that's that that can be a much more enjoyable way to watch it. And so that's what I'm saying is for these playoffs, I have been much more game game to game, putting a lot more into each each moment and each game that I'm seeing. And and I would feel like Malone would be seeing it somewhat the same. You know, at this point, I don't think, well, Barton is important to our plans long term. So let's leave him in and we'll just lose this series and then we'll come back next season. I that was kind of my reason for keeping him in for the last couple of months. Let him play out the season. Let us get some more data on it. Let him see if he can come back from this injury and, and build up. Um, and we'll take some losses or we'll take some bad play along the way. But at this point, you, you want to win the game. You want to win the series. So I would expect actually Malone at this point um, to, and something that I really liked uh, that, that um, you mentioned Adam Mares talked about is, uh, I think Will Barton is is the guy who could actually go to Malone and say, hey, man, just take me out. I'm not helping the team. Um, we have seen him. He he shows a lot of empathy towards his team uh, when you do get closer to him and you do see what's going on. And and I could see him being the kind of guy to be like, I'm not just laying myself down, but um, I'm laying these other guys down. So not and not necessarily to sit him. Um, and actually let, let me spin it in another way. I, I want to portray a worst case scenario with what happens with Will Barton over these next few games. If Malone does leave him in for this next game and he does terribly, and then we go back and we lose the game and then we go back to Denver for probably the last game of the series. And then he, he brings him off the bench in that game and it's Barton's first game off the bench first kind of, time back in that role playing with the more the bench guys and he doesn't perform well there's nothing you can do about the Denver crowd to stop them from booing you could have Jokic and Malone address the crowd before the game you could have signs on every seat when people come and sit down that says don't boo Barton tonight it doesn't matter he's gonna get booed off off that that court no and I appreciate the people that have been Barton fans and that really supported him and and go back to a couple years ago when they and they really liked him um I, I'm not one of those. I never liked his game and I've, I've, I've been, I've had to really been convinced, had to be convinced to give him a chance even this year. And I, I really tried to, um, and because I tried to be more open-minded and not just go off like my gut reaction from the, from like last year, the year before, um, as we were doing this podcast. And unfortunately this year has been his worst season Right. And I don't know, you know, the guys that defend him say, well, he's, it's because he didn't come back from injury. Are we sure about that? I mean, it's been 46 games. He had a hip injury. Like, is he a little bit less explosive? I, I don't know. How do you measure something like that? Um, I hear people say that. I don't necessarily see a whole lot of difference in, in him when I'm just watching him on the court. And what I do know is he can't shoot. Um he's not a rhythm shooter. So I'm not sure like he's not a, he's never been a good shooter. He's a 48% um, true shooting 
guy his his entire career that's below average so i don't know what why people think like he's just in a funk and just needs to get back to the old will the old will wasn't a great shooter he was an okay shooter one thing i want to say is that one thing that i saw differently is is just um aesthetically he's a guy that i remember seeing um tearing up the paint going to the rim and finishing um and being a, a major threat to to cut in there and do some damage in the paint and and that's something that we haven't really seen him do since coming back. And that's where before we were kind of talking about um, maybe there is something still lingering physically where he's not being able to, to actually physically do it. Or maybe at this point, it's more of a mental thing where he's not feeling confident, even though his legs are there. But the point is, it's not happening. And so I I, I, I think your argument at, at this point, I'm willing to back up the pretty much the entirety of your argument. But uh, but to me, it's conditionally um conditionally relevant in that part of the condition of your argument being true is based on the future i think it's based on a summer passing of him getting rest mentally right. physically coming back and then and then seeing what what happens next season but no, i know that's something not- nobody wants to hear right now and especially in the playoffs it's not worth worth it to keep him in if that's your argument that's the thing what we're not building will barton for the future we know what will right. barton is the, the, right. it's baked in with him right now like he's not going to get better in his 8th season or whatever next year like he well, better is, than this season, well, I, I would but, hope so. Right. But I mean, even if he gets back to what he was two years ago, like, okay, that's fine. That's that's probably peak Will Barton. So if right. that's what we get, I, I'm okay with that if he's coming off the bench as a six man. Um, personally, I don't want him I don't want him starting, but I'd be, I'd still be okay with that. The thing is, I, I totally agree with you. Next year is really gonna be the telling year. Um, because at that point he he will be back from injury fully. And we'll see, you know, what he has, what he has left moving forward. If he, if he comes out the first month or two next year and he's this bad, um, then I, I think we just have to move on from him. I don't, I don't see how, how we can keep sticking with him, you know, with some hope for the, what he can be in the future or something. We have too many yeah. good, young, talented players. That's the, that's the real issue here is that we've got people to replace him who are better, who are better right now and who present a brighter future. I mean, Malik Beasley could be a really good player in this league. Um, I think he could be a borderline all-star player in this league from what I've seen from him now, and especially coming in or what he's been doing in the playoffs. I mean, I am so, blown so away. His game in, last night was phenomenal. Let's jump into it. Let's let's wrap up the Barton talk with, so what do we do now? Because well, you me, just brought up Beasley, and I want to bring up Craig. Okay. Yeah, let me say this about Malone. So I, I, I really give Malone a lot of credit for sticking with Murray in game two. I thought that was a really gutsy move. And, and I really liked his comments afterward when he said he just had a sense that Murray needed those minutes. He, you know, he, he didn't know he was going to like go off or anything, but Malone just felt like, look, if we don't get something going from Murray, this series is over anyways. So he left him in hoping that, that he could get something going and it paid off for him huge. The problem I'm seeing now is potentially is I hope Malone doesn't overlearn that lesson. It's not that every time a guy is struggling that you can just leave them in and they're going to bounce back with a, with a performance like Murray had. And I, I am starting to get the sense that Malone is maybe a little bit too much. He's being too much of a player's coach at the moment, and he needs to he needs to make adjustments. I mean, at this point, the team has been outplayed for 11 of 12 quarters, generally speaking. Um, Barton and Murray specifically have been completely outplayed with the exception of the fourth quarter of game two when, when Murray went off. 
Um, unless Murray can go off like that in every game moving forward, he's probably going to continue to be outplayed by Derek White. So you have to do something. Like you, that's what playoffs are, are about adjustments, and he has to make adjustments. He can't just say, "I really like these guys and believe in them." I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's not working. We have a we have a long a big enough sample size now to know that this is a bad matchup for Murray, at least in this series. He's and and I I don't see what is going to transform that in Game Four unless Malone shakes things up. Right, Malone definitely deserves. Uh... What's the opposite of credit <laughs> criticism uh, of of their poor performance? I, I think uh, Barton, Murray, and Malone are the guys that I think you ha- you hang up there. I would I would hang Malone a little lower than them, but um, but you know if he's going to take all the credit, his post game <laughs> after the second game, the win was I I was I was sticking with my guy because I know that he can get hot. You guys stand behind your guys. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to take all the credit for that and and it was your master plan to pull off that great win, then guess what? It was also your master plan to lose in this third game because you did the same thing and, and you ended up with a different result. I mean, everybody watching this knows Malik Beasley is better than Will Barton right now. Like, it's not – there is no – Well, I, I have another thing to say oh, about Malone. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Is, is I was actually doing some soul searching last night with Malone. And I actually – I think that I would have wound up playing it the exact same way that he did – um, which isn't to say that it's right, but it is to say that he is the coach. And so he, he gets the blame for it. But, you know, in, in that, in that first game, I think the real storyline was th- the shots just weren't falling. They, they looked good. Everything looked for the most part, good. You could break some things down that you want to improve. But to me, the real storyline was if, if the ball would have fell just a little bit better, that was a win. And you just want to rinse, repeat that. And then in the second game, so he rinse repeated that in the second game, no real adjustments, and they won it. So you go into the third game and you say, "Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it going. Like it really is a thing of of we we just need the ball to fall and we're gonna win." Well, they shot over fifty percent as a team last night, mm-hmm. and from, from three. three they shot over fifty percent and pretty defiantly lost. So so this is where this is where I believe the adjustments do have to come. And, and I, I, I see myself doing the exact, I see the line of logic that Malone walked down, but has reached an impasse. And so I'm really hoping that we see him stop and go in a different direction. Well, what has me worried is last night after the game, he was asked about looking, doing lineup changes or looking at that. And he said he, at this point, he's inclined to stick with the same lineup. Yeah. I I think that's a little ambiguous answer. What's that? I think that's a little bit of an ambi- he he gave himself a way out there. I, I well, think. yeah, and it's not. We'll see when the actual lineups come out. I mean, I just don't. I don't know how you keep rolling out Will Barton specifically. Murray, I understand a little bit more because, and here people keep you know. I, I know there's some some people who think well, everybody's super hard on Will Barton and they give Murray a pass. Well, yeah, there's a reason for that. Murray has a high ceiling. Barton doesn't. Murray is a young player. Barton isn't. Um, and we've seen flashes from Murray, even in the series, that fourth quarter was monster. That was superstar play. That was mm-hmm. big, big, big time player stuff. What glimpse of anything have we ever gotten from Barton that indicates that he's capable of something like that in a playoff series? Right. I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and that's where even in Stiff's chat um, during the game, we were kind of like it, it wound up 
getting to a point where we were, we were kind of comparing who had the worst game, who's who's done more to injure our our playoff series uh, between Murray and Barton. And it just uh, wound up being one of those things where I, I don't even want to be in that conversation. Both of these guys have <laughs> shown complete destruction, like uh, Timothy from uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just like throwing explosions all over the place on our team's chances of winning. <laughs> And, and and so I just I want to sit down here. We are sitting down. <laughs> we're we're criticizing their their bad play, but the the one difference that I am willing to point out is what you just said. Is is whoever you want to say is is worse worse here. The reality is Murray is a guy that we look at as a key piece of our future. As the really everybody's seen him, whether he is it or not, as the number two piece next to Jokic or, or under him. And, and that's, that's where the difference goes. That that's why when you play so bad, you go, you go back with him and you sit down and you say, okay, let's look at go over tape. Here's what you did. Here's what you did. Go back out there. Okay. He does bad. Okay. You sit him back down again. Okay. Here's what you did. Here's what you did. Okay. Go back out there. Whereas with Barton after this series, I don't think you do that. You go, you are broken, go on the bench and and we 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 need to do this to win to win now. So so what do you do to get back into that? So so you brought up Beasley. Um, how do you see the lineup changing? It were were you to change it? I mean, something's got to be done about Derek White too. He's he's been arguably the best player in this series. He was an yeah. absolute monster last night. He's averaging like twenty six or twenty eight points a game. Now, yeah, one thing I want to say: as much as I enjoy his his play, um, he is not. This to me, this is not his coming out party. Where all of a sudden he's going to be one of the top five point guards in the NBA, a truly great. He's all-star. not the Donovan Mitchell to, of this year. To me, this is he got matched up against Jamal Murray, and he's he's eaten. You know, he's at the buffet line eaten. That that's what's going well, on. He is not a 26, 27, 28 point a game guy. Well, that what does that tell us about Jamal Murray? Then I mean. See this whole like argument too about you know the team being young and and you know of course there's going to be nerves and stuff. You see some of that. Monte Morris had nerves in in game one. He was he was he was um, shooting everything really short. He was he was shooting free throws really short, like where they were barely grazing off the front of the rim. That's nerves. Like you you can tell when a guy is is playing tight. That's not I to me that's not what, what's happening with Will Barton. I don't see a guy playing tight at all. I see a guy just chucking stuff and it's not going in because <laughs> he can't well, shoot. What concerns right me? You're talking about Murray. And uh, that was Barton, but Murray too. Wow. I, I, like, I think Murray, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not really seeing Murray playing tight either. I just think uh, I, I may, maybe he's putting too much pressure on himself because there did seem to be like almost a visual, visible, like, sense of relief or like he was like like that he threw the blanket off in game two in that fourth quarter like i you could sense something about him that had changed that like right. oh, okay just like, like in boston no like i get it now or something right but that then to come out in game three and have such a stinker again i'm not sure i, I really don't know with him if it is a head issue it seems like it has to be i mean he's obviously not this bad well you, you were talking about the future with murray and and one thing that I think could be real, well, to contrast it, I, I think his offense is something that he can focus and hone. I think there's a lot of room there. Uh, we've talked a lot. You just brought up in his head of just getting things right between playmaking and shooting, um, who he's teamed up with, re- roles, responsibilities. I, I think 
over time, and point guard is the hardest position to play in the NBA to begin with. I, I think that's something that we can see hone in and get really good at. The one thing that we, I believe we might be seeing that could be permanent is just his inability to get in front of guys on defense. He might be a defensive liability for the rest of his career. And that bodes some serious questions going forward. But yeah, again, to me, not right now. <laughs> if you're going to be a big defensive liability, then you have to be a big time scorer. Right. Like he's exactly. got to be a guy that can exactly. score 25 to 30. Right. Or he's and you build it. around that. It's like with Jokic. Like we knew, we knew that he was a defensive liability and we built around him accordingly. Gain Millsap in here and uh, Plumlee kind of learning to play next to him a little bit better. And, and then Jokic was able to make an adjustment as well. And now all of a sudden you have a defense that works. And now, for some reason, a basketball haiku by Nicholas Herzog. Enough is enough. Give the people what they want. Minutes for Malik. So, I mean, that just to transition to the, the a bit of a bright side, I mean, to me, Jokic has stood out in this series as a legit star. He's he's averaging 18, yeah, 12, and 10. He's averaging a triple-double in his first three playoff games. The yeah. moment is not too big for him. For anybody who's criticizing him, like needing to take more shots, go watch the game again. He's getting double-teamed constantly. And what Jokic is doing is making the right play. He's, he's, not, he, he's not the type of player who can just physically – impose his will on the other team. And if that's what you think a superstar needs to do, you're not going to ever get that from Jokic. I mean, he can't just physically dominate the way like LeBron James can. He's shown, he can't, a, he's shown some ability to do that, which has I mean, been extra. Really, it's been great. The little Yoki Doke movie had with like three guys jumping around him last night in like the third quarter when he went on that run. I think it was the first of the three buckets in a row that he made. And mm-hmm. he did a little, some nifty footwork down the paint and was dancing around and ended up scoring over like a bunch of bouncing bodies. I was like vintage Jokic and he's, and it's so good. And he, yeah, he maybe could do a little bit more of that, but the fact is he is getting guys wide open shots all the time and they need to be making them. That's, that's what he's doing for this team. That's invaluable. There's a a little room for criticism. I think, um, again, it's the opposite of Barton. It, It was worst to me in the first game where there was definitely some room where you could tell he was just in passer mode. Um, that there were some shots there, easy shots that he could have taken that I think he should have, but, but then less of that in the second game. And then I thought, I thought last night was by far his best game. It was extremely well-rounded. I was really impressed with him last game. Uh, yeah, and yeah, as you mentioned, this is a guy who just turned 24 years old playing in his first NBA playoff series. And he's, he's nearly averaging a, a triple double here and, and leading a team every single night to to compete. So 
I, so I we have know been he's, super impressed with him. Yeah, I'm really I mean, glad to see it. Me too. I like, so we know, we know we have something special there. I think I, I don't, he's shooting also 42% from three in this series and like 83% from the line when in a, on a team where everybody's missing free throws. Right. So he's been a rock and he, he's been, he's been consistent and solid. Gary Harris for the most part has been really good. He, he took yeah. a step back last night a little bit, um, kind of shrunk in the, in the second half specifically. I'm not sure what happened. There, the first two games of the series, I thought he was he was really outstanding. So we kind of, but that again, this isn't really surprising. Like the guys that we thought we could count on, who we just sort of knew were going to be good, are be are good. Like Jokic is good, we can count on him. Harris has been good for the most part. You know, he gives you what he gives you, and and you can count on that. Millsap for the most part has been pretty good. I was disappointed by his rebounding last night. He only had one rebound, um, and that's been one of his big contributions to them down the stretch here has been getting big offensive rebounds and that didn't happen last night at all. But yeah. So, so something to say about that is I, I saw it way more last night than in any of the other games was uh, the defense sagging, the Spurs defense sagging off of Barton. And the second that that happens, he's the, the three, which means his guy is, is a bigger guy who is now sitting in the paint. And all of a sudden you have a really clunky paint. You have a lot of guys crashing the boards, a lot of bodies in there. That's going to make it harder on Millsap. That still doesn't necessarily excuse one rebound, but I think that's just a number to me. That's, that's a number that uh, is not all that important. I think people are gravitating towards that. You know, when you look at where to point a finger, you look at the numbers and you go, Oh, there's a low one. Um, yeah, we could have seen more out of Millsap last night, probably more on the defensive end actually than, than the offense as far as rebounding goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause again, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do against um, the, the length that the Spurs have when they increase the numbers on you as well and stack it with all those guys. But, um, so that, so Millsap's rebounding I, I is also a, Barton's a, a fault. B, a B for the <laughs> series, maybe even a B plus cause, cause of what he's been able to do as far as like the spirit of the team, like leading, um, when, when other guys have been shrinking back, he's been leading, leading the fight. So I think I'd give him a, a B plus. All right, Jeremy. So we got to wrap it up here. This is a, a short one. We're, I'm recording from a hotel today so i apologize for the background Fancy. Noise. Be, um oh my goodness yeah, down in durango i sat next to a couple of a small anecdote i sat next to a couple of season ticket holders last night who were down here from denver too and uh beginning of the third quarter i hadn't really talked to him at all and beginning of the third quarter i was on twitter and, and reading some stuff whatever and i just leaned over to those guys and i was like just out of curiosity are you guys will barton fans and pretty much before I even finished my question, they were both like, no, he's terrible. What in the world? Like, why is he still in? I think yeah. at this point, the <laughs> pretty the fan base has pretty much turned on him. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the one thing. That's the one thing that I do understand as far as the context around people booing Barton. Just the quick tangent. Um, we could have talked at length about that after the second game. Fortunately, we didn't record <laughs> after that second game because that's not a conversation I think worth having a long one. But there, not much context makes it into an arena of 20,000 fans watching, drinking, watching people compete like in, in sports athletics. Like there's not a lot of room for, for, um, for what will sway them other than the action that they're seeing. But the context that does make it in is these are people who largely have been watching this season, the nuggets play the, the ticket prices are high. That means these are true fans for the most part. Um, and they have seen Barton throw games away. 
and, and perform badly. So you have your expectation. Oh, uh, how what Jokic is going to do? You know how he plays, and Murray, he's up and he's down, and and you know your players basically, and you know that Barton has been bad. And so when it comes to it, and here he is throwing our, the first playoff series away. And you see him doing it. That is the context that makes it in. There's, there's not the context for the the spiritual nature of Barton or his story or things like that. It, it, what makes it in is the the name he's made for himself recently, and and that's gonna yeah, that's gonna cause people sounds, to boo. I, I don't. It think sounds that's heartless a huge to just be like, sorry, we only care what you do on the court. But the thing is, it's not like Barton has like won championships here or something. It's not like. Okay, so he, you know, he had a stretch where he played hard on a bad team for a couple of months. Okay, cool, but he's trying to earn contract. Like, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. It's not to disparage anybody ever playing hard, but like, he just did what he was supposed to do. You're supposed to play hard when you're an NBA player. So why, why does that mean that I'm supposed to like overlook all of his bad play for an entire season? Like, I, I just don't. I, I do not understand this mindset that he's like our guy and we need to back him up because I I just don't think he's really done that much to help this team win and they've never had a real winning culture here. So we're trying to figure out who are the guys that are going to help us win a championship. And I don't know at this point how you can say even moving into next year that Barton is one of those guys. So wrapping it up, uh, what's the adjustment you make? Game four, what what adjustments do you make? I want to say something. My gut w- w- wants to say just start Beasley over Barton. I mean, that seems like a simple like fix here. But I feel like something really needs to be done about Derek White. I'm wondering if starting right. Tory Craig and putting him on Derek White might not actually make more sense and keeping Beasley's offense on the bench with the exception that that's exactly okay, yeah, with, with the understanding that Beasley will probably be in the game like the entire fourth quarter. Right. Right. Beasley needs to see over 25 minutes. And I think for what it's worth, keep Jamal starting, but give give Monte more minutes in there. One thing I saw that I was hoping for was Jamal Murray being moved to shooting guard, mm-hmm. bringing Monte in and they did that late last night and Murray looked terrible. Wow. So he looked terrible I was really point let guard down too, by so. that. I, I, yeah, I well right, I, I I think you just you just lower his minutes a little bit, get, give them to Monte but still keep him starting. Um it, so this was something uh uh my boy Zach Mikash, if you listen to uh, pickaxe pundits uh, brought up in our stiffs chat was bringing in Craig and putting him on white. And I think I love that idea. I was thinking about that more and more. Um, first of all, uh, we know that the Spurs are sagging off of Barton, our three, and that's causing problems. We, we know what kind of problems that causes our offense because earlier in the season, when Tory Craig was starting, teams were doing the exact same thing and it was definitely causing problems for Jokic ball. But one thing I want to say about that is Craig has been playing much better since the, uh, the all-star break and his, his numbers are up all, all over the different lineups that he's been in Um, as well as he's, he's, his net rating is 26.3 when he's playing with the starters at the three Granted, he's only had 11 minutes, so that's not a very reliable 
um, stat, but when you see him, all of his other lineups have increased as well. To me, that makes it a little bit more reliable. And the reason why I go with him over, over Beasley is because I'm just, I, I play, I play backseat Nuggets coach more conservatively where Craig is a guy who has gotten tons of minutes with these starters. We, we know what we have. It's, it's something we can go back to. And it's something that I think is performing better at this point than it has all season. And that's why you go with the conservative plan of putting Craig in over Beasley. We haven't seen any of Beasley play with the starters, be a starter with, with a starting lineup. And so to me, I go, I go to that. If we lose this game to me, that's, that's the wish and the prayer is putting Beasley in at the three. Craig, and and I would, I, if we lost this game, I would go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea of being able to put in Craig on, on white. Now that's a guy who's going to be able to stay in front of him. Craig can stay in front of, pretty much anybody and you just you slide Harris over to DeRozan you slide Murray over to uh um Forbes yeah because I think I I think that I'm fine with Aldridge and DeRozan getting theirs I, I I think they can both have 30 point 35 point games it's the other guys you have to you have to keep down you can't if Derek White goes off at 36 points you are not gonna win um, because those other guys are going to get, they're going to get right. something. They're going to have 20 at least. Um, so right. it, it, it starts to become really tough um, if, if you let one of the other guys go off. And so I think that's really what they have to do is put the clamps down on Derek White because he's creating so much um, chaos on the Nuggets defense right now because he's just blowing by Murray. Um, so Right. And another thing that you made me think of is – if San Antonio gets 118 points, I think San Antonio is probably winning that game, which is why I also want to put in Craig as opposed to Beasley in the starting lineup. Cause I don't want to try beating San Antonio 122 to 118. I want to try, I want to try being San Antonio, right. you know, 108 to 98 or something like that. that that's, that's the and game I want to see on, happen. And that's what Craig brings. Sorry. You kind of touched on this mm-hmm. um, too, but I, just to reiterate this, I do think Murray should be on a short leash. And I think Monte should go in, you know, if Murray gets off to a start where he's over, over six and one of two from the line or something like that, again, in the first half, I think you got to go to Monte because Monte played really well um, in game three. I thought he played really well in the second half of game two. And I, I think he's, he, he doesn't look like the moment's too big for him. Like I said, there was some nerves early on in game one. He was, he was pulling up short on a bunch right, of shots right. since then. I think he's been really solid. He was, 10 points, six assists last Completely night. Because that's the other problem we're not talking about with Murray is Murray's not creating shots either for anybody. It's not just his shooting. He's got like right. no assists on this series. Um, same with Barton. Mm-hmm. They're just not, they're not getting, they're not getting guys open. A lot of that is because they're open a lot because of the doubling of Jokic. And so they're just taking their open, their open shots and they're not hitting them. So, but it's, um, they, you know, these guys, we, we've got to get somebody else who's, who's making plays for people. And at this point, it seems like Monte is probably the only other one capable of doing that unless something changes. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll see. Uh, the game is right around the corner. Um, I hope we see a major adjustment in that game. Um, if not, I think it, you start to reach the point where you're heaping fiery coals on, on Malone's head. Um, this next game, the, is is kind of win or lose. This next game to me is the 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 pivotal game. You win this game, and I think I think the ball's in your court going for the rest of the the series. You lose this game, you know, maybe you have a 
five percent chance yeah, of being able to yeah, pull out they, something crazy. They lose, they lose tomorrow. It's over. Yeah. So I say take the conservative adjustment, put Craig in at the three. If that doesn't work, then your your wishing your prayer is is Beasley, and and I think it's worth it to to do these more radical change ups. Let me it's, say one other thing too. Series. I think I think to win this series, they're going to have to get at least one, if not two, monster games out of somebody. I I think Jokic Jokic is going to have to have a game where he scores like thirty eight, or Murray's going to yeah. have to have a game like yeah, that too. I I'd mean, love to see that's that. what the Spurs got from Derek White last night. They had a guy they weren't expecting. Right. Who, I mean, a guy who's been playing really well in the series, but I don't think anybody's expecting him to shoot fifteen for twenty for thirty six points, and that's. That's the spark. I think we're all the Nuggets fans. I think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody. And we easily kind of got gave us that yeah, last night. He scored 20 points yep, and nine rebounds easily um, off the bench. Yep. So it, it's got to be somebody, but they're going to have to get, this is where, this is where we see, like, do we have some stars on this team? Do we have some people who are going to be able to win championships? Because if you're going to win championships, you've got to have those big time performances from people. It can't just be like, yeah, everybody did okay and got like 10 to 15 points. You might have a game like that or two, but at some point, somebody's got to step up and just rock it. So, follow along, everybody. Denver Stips. Stips. <laughs> yeah. I'm drinking coffee today, not whiskey. Uh, weird. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Follow us, obviously, on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Um, conversations going on on all of those platforms. And as well as, uh, Nick, you've been uh, rocking some some Twitter for, for The Dig lately. Follow us on there as well, at The Dig, uh, for some good conversation. Good uh, gifts lately, back, back and forth. Yeah. We're enjoying that with you. Thanks, everybody. Hopefully, we'll have better news for you next week.